1: folks welcome to episode 204 of the pesky report brought to you by belly up sports i'm ed hand and i am joined today by brandon brewer how are you brandon
0: i'm doing well ready for duval in boston let's go
1: well it hasn't been confirmed yet um but hopefully you know we're going to be talking a little bit about that so hopefully by the time you hear this That'll be a little more uh, set in stone, but um, I'm very excited for our guest tonight. We've got uh, Mac Cerullo, who is a Red Sox beat reporter, um, and Mac is also one of my favorite Twitter follows because when there are press conferences with Red Sox officials, he gets the, he, you know, it's, it's sort of an art form taking down quotes. I've tried to do this before when we had interviews on and it's, you know, it's hard to pick out the ones that are. Are right for it, and Mac, I feel like always hits when he picks out quotes. Um, so that's that's already something I'm very excited for. But uh, how 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 are you doing today, Mac? How are you doing? Uh, it's really good to have you here.
2: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for the kind words. Yeah, the, the press conference. It's uh, it's funny. You, you do this long enough, and you I guess get an ear for it and learn to type really fast. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. I I um yeah. It's it, well, we've had a lot of press conferences this off too. So. Um, you know, for for better or worse, they're they're making moves. Uh, there's obviously a lot of debate over whether or not they're the right moves. But uh, it's been uh, certainly a lot a lot to talk about. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And we're we're going to be talking about all of that. But before uh, before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, where, did, is your background in journalism? Where'd you go to school?
2: Uh, yeah. So, um, so I, I uh, for, well, first of all, um, my my media, uh, I work for the Eagle Tribune. So we'll start with that. Uh, so my job is uh, we, you know, we, we I cover the Red Sox for the, the Tribune as well as the other affiliated papers. So like you see me in the Salem News, Gloucester Daily Times. Uh, Newburyport Daily News. That was that's where I kind of came up and where I came from. I was the uh, sports editor there for a while, and uh, you know, sort of the the high school guy uh, for most of the early day, early years of my career. Uh, you asked about where I went to school. You can kind of see over my shoulder. Um, always repping UConn. Uh, did some grad school at Boston University. Um, You know, kind of cut my teeth uh, covering UConn athletics back during the golden uh, years of the, uh, you know, uh, Kemba Walker's championship season, the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, There was a really good time to be at UConn, I'll tell you that. It was a a lot of really good stuff going on. Um, Matt Barnes and George Springer were both playing baseball there at the time, too. Um, Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously now uh, I've been on the Red Sox beat for about a year. The All-Star break of 2021, so about a, a, a season and a half, we'll say. And it's been uh, it's been a blast, man. It's a uh, you know, what a what an amazing opportunity to be able to, you know, cover this team, even if we'll even if we'll say 2022 was a little bit of a downer
1: overall. A little bit of uh, not not the ideal time to come in. But, you know, um, were you a Red Sox fan growing up?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, big sports fan growing up in general. Um and, uh, you know, I, I think you could ask around the beat, you know, any of the, the pro beats in Boston, I mean, almost everybody will tell you the same thing. I mean, you know, everybody kind of comes to this through a shared love of sports and uh,
1: to to be able to do it for a living is, is really awesome. Yeah. I mean, what was your favorite what was your favorite team uh, like with Red Sox team? Like, do you really feel the most connected with, I guess? Um,
2: uh, Well, you know, it's funny, like it's almost cliche to say the 2004 team, but in that case, it's really true when it's really earned. Um, So I so I'm uh, I'm 32. So uh, I was in high school, uh, actually just entering high school during the 2004 um, season. And uh, I really got into the team for the first time in the playoffs, uh, the 2003 playoff run. And so when 2004 rolled around, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm in, I'm just going to, I was the first time I'd watched every game. It was the first time I really like, you know, was picking up the sports section every day, reading the globe, reading, you know, whatever I could get my hands on. And uh, it was, let's just say that it was a a good return on my investment emotionally. uh, You know, time-wise it worked out. So it was, it's a, yeah. (laughs) Well, that was definitely the most enjoyable fan experience I've ever had uh, by far. Uh, and certainly the most formative, I would say. Um, I, I think I would have turned out a lot more cynical like most most older Red Sox fans, for sure, had that t- gone south, uh, you know, like so many had
1: happened before. I mean, 2003, there was that whole... I mean, do you, do you have a boot home run story? Like, what your reaction to that was? If that was your first real postseason you were watching? Um... I listened to that one on the radio. Actually, uh,
2: I was technically not supposed to be up that late. I was—I uh, think I, it was past my bedtime back when such was a thing. And I had like a little Nickelodeon clock in my room that had a radio, so I would listen to the games after. <laughs> I bed. And I think I remember that one when it happened. I just kind of turned it off. I was like, "All right, I'm going to I'm going to sleep now."
0: <laughs> yeah, because that was <laughs> like I, what, like thirteenth like, uh, inning. That was, that was late. That was real late, like 13th inning or so. So it was definitely past your bedtime, young man. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Well, I think I,
2: I think I passed out for a couple of innings before I, I like woke up. And I was like, Oh God, is it like what happened? So I like hit the button. I think it, it was like right after, like, oh. like maybe even right, right after. And I was just like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, that's good night.
1: <laughs> so 2004, were you allowed to stay up for the poppy walk-offs or was that also past your bedtime?
2: Um, the first, oh, wow. That's a great scene. That's a, I'm glad you brought that one up. So the first, uh, the game four, uh, I was not, I did not make it until I, so my dad actually played an excellent prank on me that night. Um, I woke up the next day, not knowing the result and he told me that they lost. And so when I got, when I opened, turned on sports center and got the globe, I was the best kind of confused. Um, and game five that night, uh, it, the game started at like four. So that was like, still a reasonable hour. So I, I was up for that one. And, uh, don't worry. I, I, I made a, I, I was th- 14 years old. So let's, let's let, you know, <laughs> I, 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 am I, I am not sleeping in the press box these days. I, I can promise you that.
1: <laughs> I just remember That's... sleeping. Cause that was the school night for the first one for, um, the Ortiz walk off home run. That was a school night. So I slept through that one also. Um, so Right. Yeah. Sorry, Brandon. I mean to cut you off.
0: Uh, I I was gonna say, like, I guess I'm the old man of the show because uh, 2003 was my freshman year of college, and so 2004, I was I was in college doing my thing, probably hammered, drunk for every single game. Uh, Specifically, the first three games, I was drowning my sorrows of the ALCS, and then from game four until game seven, I was I was just drunk with jubilation and uh i i do remember game seven specifically i was uh very much intoxicated but (laughs) still hanging on the edge of every single pitch of that game somehow i was at that like that nice balance of drunk but still aware of what you're doing and what was going on and the magnitude of what was happening and oh man like that was a, a probably the best feel good moment that I've ever had while drinking alcohol and watching baseball simultaneously. Usually it doesn't end well. I
2: can't, I can't even imagine, man, that, that's a, that was a great, that would have been quite a time to be in college, especially in Boston. I, I don't know if you were in school in Boston, but boy, that would have been something
0: else. It, it was, uh, it was wild. I, I wasn't in Boston at the time. I, I actually was at a uh, Gardner Webb university in North Carolina But there was a really big baseball following at that school. They had a a really good baseball team and a lot of fans from all around the the country were there. So I remember sitting there watching that game with a bunch of Cubs fans who also (laughs) could sympathize with not winning World Series for a million and a half years. So they were super excited for us to to be able to, to come back from three games down against the Yankees and then go on to the World Series whether we wanted or not, we didn't care at that point because it was like we beat the Yankees. We're on top of the world, baby. Let's go.
2: I'm sure they were happy when you when the Sox beat the Cardinals. I mean, that oh, would yeah, have, that like beating their Yankees, I guess. Right.
0: Yeah, that's a bitter rival for the Cubbies. So, yeah. And so uh,
1: moving moving on from days past two days forward. As Brandon alluded earlier, there's been some uh, there's been some talk about Adam Duvall joining uh, joining the Red Sox. That um, some have said that they're uh, they're pretty close to an agreement. Some have said that it's a little further away, but that we'll know by the end of the week. Have you heard anything on this matter? Um,
2: I can't say that I can report anything that isn't already out there. Uh, all I can really say on this one is that it makes a whole lot of sense for sure. Um, you know you're talking about a guy who is a gold glove caliber defend defender uh he was a You know, only two years ago, he hit 38 home runs and had 113 RBIs, Uh, you know, for the most part throughout his career. I mean, this is a guy who has been uh, a productive power bat in center field, which is exactly what the Red Sox could use right now. You know, Kike, one of the luxuries of having him and presumably he'll be healthy. I mean, what happened to him last year was was pretty rough. Um, You know, that's a very productive piece that you can slot in almost anywhere on the diamond, right? So if you get Duval, then you can move Kike to presumably to shortstop, and then maybe just roll with Arroyo until something happens with him, um, because injuries are obviously a concern. Uh, You know, Duval, maybe not you know, he's getting older, you know, he's, uh, he's in his like mid thirties now. So there's some risk there, but, you know, c- given the circumstances and especially if you get him on a one or two year deal makes perfect sense uh, would absolutely, you know, be a, be a signing. I think the red side, so- a lot of people would be excited about and for good reason.
1: So you think that he makes sense in center field, where would you move Kike to in that, uh, in that scenario?
2: Um, well, as the roster is currently constituted shortstop, but that's not to say that the Red Sox couldn't also find another person to play shortstop. Um, you know, I think um, – because the trick is is basically if you do move Kike into the infield, now you have a hole at center field. Um, Yoshida is not a center fielder. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I actually had a chance to talk to some people who are really in on the Japanese baseball scene. And when I asked them about the defense, they were kind of just like, he's it's, it's not a strength of his game. Not really. So, you know, you, you stick him in left field Verdugo, we know can play right field pretty well. We also know that he can be a little bit of an adventure in center field, or at least he has been in the past. So you're really, your best bet is either find at least one, if not two people to play in the middle infield or move Kiké and make sure you find somebody who can play center field. So Duval would get, allow the Red Sox the opportunity to do the latter, and, um, Presumably, and you know and, you know honestly at that point maybe you can just go just go and hope for the best. Uh, I think the Red so- you know, Bloom has been pretty uh, upfront about being like no we're, we're adding m- multiple people and I don't see any reason to you know why that wouldn't be the case. so uh, at least at a start that would it would give the it would give the team a complete lineup, if not enough depth perhaps, but at least it would be an important first step
1: yeah especially the power back too because they're really besides Rafi Devers there isn't really an additional person that's really a threat to leave leave the field ever any at bat so I think that it does make a lot of sense with um with Duval there now you mentioned yeah. uh, Yoshida what uh, what did you hear about him because that's there I think this is this is the first uh Japanese uh, like position player that we've really seen the Red sox sign isn't that
2: I believe so. Uh, all the others that I'm aware of have been pitchers, um, so kind of a different uh, a different look. Uh, so I I had a chance. So I was sort of looking into him actually for a, a while before really he was even on the Red Sox, uh, well publicly on the Red Sox radar. They they've been scouting him for years. He's a, a, been, a been a been a huge priority for a long time. Honestly, um, I I think he's very interesting. We'll, we'll have to sort of see how he translates to the big leagues, but you, you see what he's done in Japan. There's a lot to like, I and mean, this guy never strikes out like ever. Um, you know, he, he walks a ton. Uh, he's good, you know, really, you know, good bat to ball skills, uh, sneaky, good power. I don't really know how that's going to translate because, uh, you know, Yoshida's is not a very big guy. Like he's like, five, five, nine hundred and eighty, something like that. Uh, I, I haven't looked at the, the measurements recently, but, you know, definitely like if you put me, had me stand next to him, you wouldn't necessarily look at either one of us and be like, you know, wow, that guy's really big or that guy's <laughs> really small, you know, which is kind of all you need to all you kind of all you need to know about him. Um, that being said, uh, they the, the Red Sox are super high on him. Uh, they, they think he could be a star. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the the wider baseball community are a little bit more dubious, but I think, you know, Red Sox fans should probably open their minds to the possibility that he actually could be like, not just a piece, but like a real get, Um, based on everything I've heard, this guy was an absolute monster in Japan. And uh, you know, if nothing else, you know, having a guy who never strikes out, walks a ton, has a little bit of pop and, you know, can, you know, spray the ball all over the field, get, collect, you know, a bunch of singles and doubles. I think most people, Red Sox fans would be in on a guy like that. Right. So um, very excited to see, see what he can do. He he's, he's a very uh, fascinating uh, addition for sure.
0: I think the key there that you just said was spray the ball all over the field. And as a left-handed bat, Taking aim at that monster is going to be beautiful for him because he can just kind of slap it the opposite field and just get get himself a quick little double to lead off a game or lead off an inning or whatever. That'll be very nice to have,
2: mm, for sure, for sure. And also the change in the rules where like the people aren't going to be able to shift against him as well as they might have been able to before. I feel like that could be a sneaky big. Uh, it could be sneaky important for him.
1: I've heard some comparisons with his uh, hitting style to someone kind of like Alex Verdugo, but with more, uh, he has more patience. Would that be an apt comparison in your opinion?
2: I've never thought of it that way. Um, I guess that could be a pretty good comp. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, to be honest, actually it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, think about it. Like Alex Verdugo is a guy who, you know, if he were to ever live up to his full potential, I mean, as a former top 100 prospect, you know, all of his, his skill set in general is pretty awesome, right? It's just like at his, this stage in his career, he hasn't quite unlocked his full potential. Whereas right now you look at him, and he's like, that guy is like, a, is like a decent starting caliber player. Whereas if he did everything he can do just a little bit better, now you're like, oh my God, this, this guy is an all-star and a like a building block. So if Yoshida comes in and he can be like that, yeah, I, I don't see I think I think a lot of people would be ha- very happy with uh with him at that at that rate.
0: What do you think of all the rumors that have circulating on on uh, everyone's favorite toxic website, Twitter, about the potential of trading verdugo?
2: You know, I think it's less likely now than I would have guessed earlier in the offseason, um, because the problem with trading verdugo is the same as it would be if you were to trade Tristan Cassius or if you were to well, move Kike into any other position, you're creating another hole. And at this yeah. stage in the game, I don't see really any way the Red Sox could trade Verdugo and get make it really worth their while, at least right now. Um, you know, he, the, the reason why he was a popular trade candidate, you know, among the, the Twitter sphere was because, um, you know, he, he's theoretically uh, got the highest upside and is sort of also the, you know, just seemed like the most likely candidate because with the red Sox, he you know we we believe that this guy could be an all-star who could be like a batting champion type of guy who could do all this great stuff and it just hasn't happened yet but that's not to say that it can't happen so really the question is do the red Sox believe he has the ability to take the next step you know alex cora in his press conference to end the year last year I think, you know, Cotillo was asking him, like, you know, who do you think could take a step step forward next year? It, the, me, Cora literally did not even let, let him finish the question before he was like, Alex, <laughs> you know. You know, um, you know we want to, you, know, you know, basically in, in a way it was like DMing with faint praise, right? He's like, we think this guy can be so much better, but also read between the lines. It's like, we also think this guy could be so much better, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, Verdugo, he's been, you know, certainly a very, a great presence in the clubhouse. Uh, I've always enjoyed talking to him. Uh, you know, I, I feel like he's got the ability to be so much to, I think there's so much there. So, you know, a team like, you know, on another a t- opposing team sees that too. And they're like, okay, like, you know, that's a guy we could certainly, you know, bring in, we, you know, he, he'd be, he'd be valuable. But the problem is, is that the value Versus what the Red Sox need in return. It doesn't match up. You know, Verdugo is realistically a guy you trade if you're willing to get a bunch of prospects in return, but the Red Sox aren't that. That's not what they need right now in this stage of their competitive cycle. Yeah.
1: Who do you see that, if not Verdugo, who do you see as potential guys off the 40 man the Red Sox could trade?
2: Tanner Houck was definitely, to, to me, seems like by far the most likely because, same reason, he's valuable. He's, you know, you, you're not. I'm not suggesting that you trade him because you think he stinks. Quite the opposite. how could be really good, but the problem right now is that what is Tanner Houck? The Red Sox don't seem to know because every time he he came up as a starting pitcher and then they switch him to the bullpen, then you move him back to the starting rotation, then you move him back to the bullpen. He, he's been quite successful in both of those roles. Like, you know, this is a guy who can really pitch, but you know, is he necessarily one of your best options to be in the starting rotation this season, you know, right. Theoretically, you know, obviously we'll see with health, health permitting, you got sale, you got Paxton, you got Pavetta, you got Kluber, and then presumably you're going to go with one out of the three of Whitlock, um, Bayo and Houck. So you got seven starters. You're trying to pick, pick five. Well, maybe somebody gets hurt at some point in spring training and makes that decision easier, but is the necessarily the, you know, the one of going to be one of those top five guys. Maybe, but it's, you know, the Red Sox don't necessarily need him in their bullpen right now either. Like it'd be, you know, obviously he, he, he's proven he can be a good reliever, but maybe if instead you can trade him for, say, that piece that you could really use in the middle infield, maybe he's the, the guy you use to get, um, you know, you, you, you run through the list of guys, uh, you know, the whole, you know, whole bunch of guys right now who are, you know, linked to the Red Sox as possible trade candidates. How seems to me is by far the most likely candidate who an opposing team would be like, we'll take that guy. He can help us now. And he's got, what is it, five years of team control, at least something like that. Um, I, I think that, I don't think it's even close, to be honest. Anybody else is, in my opinion, untradeable. Like the Red Sox just would never do it. And then anybody else who's currently in the minors is just too far away, and they wouldn't necessarily be as uh, enticing for the acquiring team. What about guys like
0: Jaron Duran and uh, Bobby Dahlbeck?
2: Well, I mean, those guys are – I think those guys definitely could be trade candidates too, but they're not as valuable as – Hauk is like – there's some real upside there. Whereas with Dahlbeck, Dahlbeck, there's upside too. Frankly, he just needs a change change of scenery. But he – There are those, everybody knows the flaws. I mean, he's a guy who has, you know, is theoretically capable of like hitting like 40 home runs. But the problem is, is he's just got way too many holes in a swing. You know, it's, everybody's seen it watching him play day in and day out. Like uh, other scouts and other teams see it too. So Dalbeck could be traded. It's possible he even, you know, most likely will be traded. But that's not necessarily going to be like, a particularly, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's going to be a blockbuster deal. That one strikes me as one where the Red Sox trade him for like some enticing prospect who's at least two years away, if that makes sense. And with Duran, I, I think it's kind of the same deal. But in his case, actually, I think the Red Sox really kind of need to keep him around um, because the, with the outfield depth and the up, up the middle situation being what it is, you know, if Duran's going to be a part of the solution, this is it's kind of put up or shut up time right now so you know i I feel like it's more likely they keep him around maybe he gets one more shot in the big leagues this year and uh either it's going to work and it'll be great or it won't and at least we'll know for sure that it's just you know at that point he's probably getting dfa'd or something so we'll see
1: yeah we've seen a lot of that with the with the construction of the team that they haven't really been able to trade the guys that have been DFA'd. We saw that today. I mean, Connor Siebel, they're getting um, a player to be named later or cash for, but we've seen that with just about everybody that's been dropped. Uh, Jeter Downs, Darwin's and Hernandez list just goes on um, that. They haven't really been able to get a lot of value back for that. Um, Do you think that we will see a trade just to like of multiple guys for one guy, like maybe they could move Dal back with Hauk and somebody else to get one other player back. Do you think something like that has been, is in the works or is it more? Yeah. Like where are they at with that?
2: Uh, well, I, I can't say I know what, where they're at as far as what discussions are having. Cause they're, they're very tight lipped about that kind of thing for obvious reasons. Um, but it would sure make a lot of sense if you could try to get like three or four guys off the roster somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you, you can kind of like fantasize about any number of possibilities. Like you put together a package of how could sort of your, your lead thing throw Dahlbeck in there and then toss in a couple of, um, you know, lower minor sweeteners to, you know, I don't know, kind of grease the wheels or whatever in exchange for, you know, Hassan Kim, for example, would the Padres make that deal? Maybe, probably, maybe not, We but It's uh, At least to me, it seems like that's one of the more likely deals that they could swing. Um, That being said, it's tough to say. Uh, The trade market's been weird this year because, like, usually you expect a lot more teams to be interested in prospects, whereas really even the non-contending teams are kind of looking for major league caliber players. And there's only so many of those to go around, and the good teams don't want to – they don't usually want to give up players like that. So interesting to sort of see where – You know how how it'll play out.
0: You think uh, the MLB expanded playoffs has anything to do with that shift in uh, desire to build later, as opposed to building right now? We got to contend for that wild card spot.
2: It's an interesting theory. Is probably something to that. Um, I think it's just uh, these. It seems like these things happen in cycles. Uh, You know, the people adjust. Things kind of go a certain way and then people zag and then things change. So it feels like right now with the new CBA, with the new expanded playoffs, there's a a whole multitude of factors. But it seems that big league caliber players have, well, in a weird way, never been more valuable, (laughs) even though that's strange. Because like theoretically, good players should always be valuable. But in a lot of cases, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Um, so it's a little bit of a changing landscape. Um, I'm sure the playoffs do have something to do with that. It's, it's definitely a real thing. Like you get to September and teams who previously would have been just way out of the picture. Now, if you're just hovering around 500, you have a chance. I mean, the Red Sox weren't really out of it last year, even, you know, not really until like early September, you know, before that, I mean, you know, in past years, they would have been, their goose would have been cooked like by like the end of July practically. Right. Um, So all these teams, uh, you know, all these teams see it that way. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a real thing, I'm sure.
1: Now, do you see any of the uh, players like the rookies um, that maybe haven't gotten a lot of hype yet being able to help the team in 2023? We saw a few of them get added to the uh, 40 man uh, just before the rule five draft, but do you see any of those guys being able to contribute right away? So we got some kind of tears. So I'm re- assuming that you're not referring to guys like Bayo and Cassius, right? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, we're assuming that that Cassius is going to be the first baseman and Bayo, if not in the rotation, will be the first man up uh, if somebody goes down. I think, yeah. So those down. two,
2: those two are, I believe, are going to be important parts of this year's team. The others, it's interesting. Um, you know, Chris Murphy. And, uh, you know, Brian Mata, Brandon Walter, these guys are all very interesting prospects where they're all like kind of in the cutter Crawford stage of their careers, where are they big league ready pitchers yet? Probably not. But could they be big league, you know, impactful for a couple weeks at a time, maybe, uh, you know, filling in and a double header here or there, or, you know, if a guy goes down to injury and you know, the schedule is falls a certain way. Um, it, it they, they give the, the Red Sox a very, uh, the luxury of having a ton of good starting pitcher depth. You know, whether or not they're, you know, because like, why did Connor Siebel get, you know, traded basically? Well, because he fell behind all those other guys, right? He's like, at this point, like, if, if the Red Sox have seven, like, realistic contenders for the starting rotation, they probably also have about that many guys who are realistically <laughs> contending for the AAA rotation, too. So, at a certain point you need to start making decisions. Uh, those guys, I don't know what extent, you know, and also Winkowski I should mention is kind of still, even though he's been around a little longer, is sort of also in that same pool. Um, I think the most likely of that group to really make an impact is Mata. Uh, he, I don't know if he'll do so as a starter, but that dude's got some really filthy stuff. I mean, we're talking like 100 mile per hour with like, you know, the monster off-speed stuff, the kind of stuff that like makes me a real, a real weapon. Um, I can see him coming up midseason or like down the stretch in a bullpen role. Um, his problem is just command. I mean, he he really can struggle to find the plate sometimes. So if he can, you know, he, he didn't spend that long at AAA really last year. So my guess is he starts there and we'll just wait and see kind of where his command is and kind of how he looks. And if he's, um, you know, if the Red Sox believe he can be a weapon, I, I can imagine him playing a real role by august or september the others we'll see but maybe less so um Raphaela too I, i'll put him in a similar category because if nothing else that dude that dude's defense is unbelievable like yeah. you know put him it's, in center for a shortstop his bat he, he, everybody he had a, he took a big step forward last year but like that dude's bat is not big league ready just yet but you know if he if, if if they could use a utility kind of spark plug guy who you don't necessarily really give him many at bats, but just stick him in center field for the late innings or stick him at shortstop when somebody needs a day off, that guy could be useful. So I wouldn't be surprised if
1: we see him get some action at some point. Yeah. Um, do you think that um, who do you think the next guy to be DFA'd would be? Um, after Siebold if they if they had to drop somebody at this point. If like like let's say Duvall happens and um he's gets a major league deal. Like who would be the next man down?
2: Oh wow that's a great question. Well you know what the funny thing is that everybody has been speculating it's gonna be Brazier for about like the last <laughs> six or seven roster moves. Um he's indestructible honestly, man. <laughs> honestly like the way that like the front office people talk about him, I, I think he's um I, I'm almost comfortable saying he's practically a lock. If if nothing else to at least like start you know, make it to spring training, which I know a lot of fans, that, that frustrates a lot of fans, but they, for, hey, they like him. You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily understand what the case is considering the additions they've made and some of the talent they kind of have available, but like he and Caleb or, um, their, their cases are a little different. Whereas Brazier, at least we know and has proven he can be in a very effective big league reliever, even if that isn't always, you know, even if it comes and goes and last year it really wasn't there a lot. And or it's kind of a similar type of thing with uh, Mata, where he, I mean he he throws really hard. You, know, if nothing else, you can say that about the guy. Um, you know, it's funny. Like who? Th- th- this is a good problem to have. Like who who's left that's really expendable, right? Like you know, Connor Siebold was kind of a surprise. You know, you you're already down Darwin's and Hernandez. I don't think they'll DFA Dahlbeck, but like I don't know. It's it's tough. Like we've reached the point now where you have the core team you have the guys who are definitely not going anywhere and then you kind of have like people who are, you're like, all right, like, I don't really, we don't want to leave. You want to lose these guys. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's, it's a good problem to have. Um, it's, I, I don't, truthfully like all the good answers I had to this question are, are gone. <laughs> you know, we've already kind of, they've sort of trimmed uh, the, the the bottom guys off the bottom of the roster. So um It'll be interesting to see, which is a very unsatisfying answer to give. I know, but um, that's where we're at right now. It does
1: point, though. It does point towards something that um, I think has been observed as being a strength of the team going um, going into the season, which is that the bullpen has received some tremendous upgrades especially compared to where they were at last year you know where matt barnes was kind of the de facto closer by the end of the season um and you know they brought in kenley jansen they brought in chris martin Julie rodriguez i feel like there's somebody else that i'm forgetting right now but you know, know schreiber for I after last year how potentially...
0: a healthy josh taylor
2: well we'll, we'll see about that um yeah, no, the bullpen, I mean, nobody should have any complaints about what they've done with the bullpen. Um, you couldn't ask for a better offseason as far as that goes. Um, you know, Kenley Jansen is a is obviously, like, is, is terrific. I mean, one of the best closers of the past uh, decade. I, I don't know if he'll get Hall of Fame consideration because that's kind of a thorny question with closers in general. But if there's a guy of, of this generation who's going to get a look, he's it's going to be him and Kimberl Yeah. Um, you know, he's and he's still he's still got it. I mean, he's 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 like 35 now, I think, but like still still very effective. You know, obviously, clearly like no stranger to high pressure situations, pitching the playoffs like forever. It seems his whole career practically. Uh, Chris Martin. I mean, that dude throws strikes. Um, I mean, in his his command, according to stackcast I think he might be, I think last time I checked, 100th percentile in uh, walk rate. I'm going to double check that. Uh, he, I mean, yeah. at least as far as his command goes, it's um, you know, w- let's just put it this way. He is the, the ideal solution to a big problem that a lot of Red Sox relievers have had, which is, you never really know what you're going to get and you're never really sure where it's going to go. Um, he he's uh, he's going to be very reliable in that respect. And just having those two guys really bumps everybody down into more appropriate spots. You know, maybe Matt Barnes makes you queasy in the ninth inning. Well, how about in the seventh inning? I think he's a is a pretty effective uh, you know guy there, especially if he pitches anything like he did down the stretch where he really seemed to get his act together and uh, John Schreiber, like you know obviously with relievers, you can never really tell how they're gonna you know go year to year. but if he's anything like he was last year, I mean that dude catching in the sixth and seventh inning most of the time, you know that's uh, that's gonna be that's that's gonna be a really good thing and um yeah so yeah, so uh, chris Martin is hundred percentile in walk rate so. Yeah, that's, that's, um, hallelujah. Right. <laughs> you yeah. like
1: five, what was it? Five people last year, 60 innings, something like that. Something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, so A I
2: sub mean, just, one whip, right. So those, those guys, those, that's like four guys right there where you're like, okay, like that, those are four really good high leverage guys. And then you go to, you know, the next tier where, you know, people like Zach, T- you know, Zach Kelly, uh, Josh Taylor, mm-hmm. Um, you know the bottom of the bullpen. It's a lot stronger than it was, and you know it's gonna competition's gonna be fierce, like out of spring training. If you go, you, you got 13 pitches on the roster, so you, five of those guys are going to be in the rotation. So that basically means who are your eight guys? Well, maybe two of them could be How and Bayo. So those two guys plus the four guys I mentioned plus I don't know, pick your the, the Joe Ellie you know Joe Rodriguez and you know Josh Taylor. Presumably you're gonna have at least one lefty. So. How do you like a bullpen like that? I mean,
1: sounds good to me, right? Yeah. And that's been an issue for a long time with the Red Sox too. You can kind of guess how the how the starting pitching is gonna go based on how overused the relievers are. So the solution to that is just have a ton of relievers. And we'll certainly have good relievers. <laughs> like, yeah, that you know?
0: too. <laughs> and with with so many quality arms that could potentially be in the rotation. What are your thoughts about maybe having a six man rotation instead of just five?
2: It's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. Um, I think I don't think we'll see that, but you can make a compelling case for why it might be a good idea. Because if Chris Sale and James Paxton are both in the rotation, it would behoove you to take it easy with both of them for obvious reasons. So a good way to do that would be to have a six-man rotation. Everybody gets more rest. Um, Garrett Whitlock also coming off an injury. Not a guy who's necessarily shouldered that big a he- like a load throughout his career. Tanner Houck also coming off an injury. Same thing. You you could so I I feel like you could make the case, but I don't haven't heard anything from Alex Cora or the front office that would suggest that's something they're really considering. That being said, we'll see you know, we'll get the spring training and maybe we'll start seeing, they'll, they'll start singing a different tune.
1: Where do you see um, Nick Pavetta and Corey Kluber kind of, because they seem like the real, the only two guys that are kind of going to be workhorses going into this season, which is strange to say for Kluber considering his injury history, but he threw over 160 innings last year, made 30, made 30 starts. Do you see them as being at the top of the rotation and kind of, I guess, um, almost serving as just inning eaters, and then you put the two guys like you're say you do Whitlock and Bayo at the back end to kind of compensate for the uncertainty at the front with Sale. Do you see that as something that they could do? How how do you see the rotation construction playing out?
2: So I see Kluber and Pavetta as having the highest floor uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, those two guys, at least last year, both pitched basically. They're they've made it through the entire season, um, and uh, you know. That, considering what the red sox went through last year that is a valuable uh thing that's a valuable trait to, to bring um if you can count on those guys to make every start you know that's that's going to help the team a lot because with sale i mean that dude at this point like you in theory all those injuries that happened last year were just weird and freaky you know it's not mm-hmm. we're not dealing with tommy john surgery anymore now we're dealing with you know, the man was hitting a, with a comebacker and he got fell off his bike. Like next thing we know, we're going to get to spring training and we're going to find out he got struck by lightning or he got mauled by a bear <laughs> taking his kids to the zoo or something like that. So you never know. But if he's healthy, you know, that guy can still be an ace. And he's obviously going to be at the top of the rotation if he's healthy and if he's effective. We'll know in spring training. We're all going to see it. If he's Chris Sale, he'll be there. So that's your top three in theory. And then so where, where do you go from there? Well, Whitlock, Houck, and Bayo, and especially Bayo are super high-ceiling guys. Can you count on them reaching their potential this year? We'll see. But if those guys, A, stay healthy, and B, are really good, I mean, let's talk about this. You get a situation where you have a healthy Chris Sale, a Baio who is just like just absolutely lighting it up. Whitlock takes the next step up and now is pitching like, say, Evaldi in 2021, let's say. And Hauk is, let's say Hauk is also very good. Now the Red Sox have the best starting rotation in baseball, right? So in a weird way, it's like Kluber and Pavetta are the two safest guys. But if things really go well for the Red Sox, we could be sitting here in May being like, what do we do with these guys? <laughs> like, you know, one of these, like one of these guys is objectively our like sixth or seventh best starter. So um, that, that, that fascinates me. Um, I, I feel like at the start of the season, barring injury, uh, it's going to be sale Kluber Pavetta probably Whitlock will start in the rotation. I think that's pretty safe to say. And then in the fifth spot will just be, you know, pick whoever you, whoever's pitching the best out of the younger guys. Or, or a paxton maybe and then yeah
1: after that all, go, all bets are off we'll, we'll see sort of see where the chips fall from there so you you will seem to have a little bit more of an optimistic outlook than um a lot of us have been been reading there um i know the lineup though is a bit of uh a bit of a question mark especially after that story injury um Mm. What do you think the best course of action is to support Rafi Devers up up at the top, in the middle of the order? Because they really, I mean, Yoshida's kind of a question mark. Verdugo, I think we've seen his floor, but who knows if he's going to be able to go above that. Justin Turner, good hitter, but also 38, so kind of risky to depend on him. Whereas you have sort of have the opposite with Cassis, who looked promising and um, in his call-up, but he's a rookie, so you don't really know what, like can you can you feel comfortable putting him in the cleanup spot or something? It's it, it's it, it's not an ideal situation to be in. And even even before the story injury, it felt like they were still a big battle away. Now it almost feels like they're two. So what do you think yeah. the best course of action there would be?
2: Well, yeah. So I mean, the story injury really stinks. That they, they 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 can't realistically they really can't replace him. Not not now. It's too late. Um, that being said, we, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, what happens with him as the year goes on. Uh, his, so his, uh, surgery, it's like, um, internal bracing surgery, as I understand it is basically a mini Tommy John that takes about half as long to recover from. And seeing as that he is a pitch position player and not a pitcher, you, you know, the, they, the, the team is being very like. They're basically being like, we're not sure if we're going to have him back. But based on everything that I've read about the surgery, it's not out of the the question that he could at least be a DH by the second half, which would be a big help. But let's just assuming that he's not available for the season, um, Yoshida and Cassius need to produce. Um, If those guys are good, this lineup will maybe it'll. It'll help a lot, I guess, is, is, is kind of where, where I'm at on that. Turner and Verdugo both also need to produce. Um, so so it's like with the rotation, you know, the, the floor is really low, but the ceiling is, you know, there, there's they, they they absolutely have to make some additions, at least one, if not two. But you can talk yourself into a lot of things going right, as well as a lot of things obviously going wrong. Um, yeah. As far as the top of the lineup goes, um you know, right now I think Yoshida leads off. You either Kike or or uh, Justin Turner. Uh, one of them is hitting second probably because you need a right-handed bat there. Devers probably bats third, and then you kind of try to maybe go left-right, left-right from there to whatever you know extent makes sense. Um, it's a question mark. Uh, this is an easier question to answer if, if and when Duval comes into the picture, and if and when they make any trades. Because uh, as it stands now, the lineup is not complete, and if they start the season with the lineup as it is right now, you're you're asking for trouble. Um, yeah, you're asking for a lot of trouble.
1: Do you yeah, see? Um, for- oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. There's been a little bit of t- uh, of talk about Christian Arroyo maybe moving as the starting second baseman. Um, good bat. Last season was the most plate appearances he's had. I think it was about 300. Do you think that he really is can only is only suited as a utility guy just because of the injuries, or do you think he could move into that starting role potentially?
2: So I wrote about this actually just the other day. Um, the answer is he's good enough to do it, but injuries are a weird beast, right? I mean, this dude has been on the injured list seven times since the red, he joined the red Sox. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. And it's for all kinds of different, like weird, you know, little things here and there, but the very fact of the matter is like him being injury prone is not like, you know, like a, it's like a speculative label. Like it's, it, as it stands now that is his track record and so the Red Sox have to proceed accordingly expecting that they can't count on him to start 150 games you know that's he's never done it in his career and there's no evidence right now to suggest that he is about to Now that being said as long as he is healthy he has proven he can be a good player uh, he was arguably one of their best he was frankly one of their best hitters down the stretch last season Um, a terrific second half. He was like hitting over 320, you know, high OPS. It it was everything you could have possibly hoped for. If that version of Christian Arroyo starts the season as the starting second baseman and is actually able to stay on the field for, you know, for as long as, as long as he can, that solves a lot of problems for the Red Sox. So you can make a compelling case that Christian Arroyo is like sneakily one of the most important players on the roster right now. Um, you know, that being said, when, uh, we, when the story injury broke, I asked time was like, what do you think of Arroyo? And he's like, talent wise, he's, he's got it, but we, we just, you know, the injuries are a real thing. So we need to kind of make sure that we have the the depth around them to, you know, make sure protect our, protect ourselves and protect him. So I, I don't, I, I'm confident that they will make moves, but that doesn't mean Arroyo can't be the solution. You know, he, he stays healthy. Uh, it, it, let's put it this way. You go duval in center, Kike at short, Christian Arroyo at second and pick some you know guy off the street as your top utility guy. That could work. You know, you, Arroyo is obviously best suited as a utility guy, but you know, under the circumstances, if, if he's the best you can do, you can do a whole lot worse.
0: Now uh, that that was that was a really good take on Arroyo, I think, and something that I really hadn't considered about him as being a sneaky most important player on, on the Red Sox roster. Uh, before that, you brought up uh, if slash when the Red Sox bring in a bat like an Adam Duvall, and I don't know if you've had a chance to see it or not, but Dan O'Mara uh, laid out Duvall's spray chart from twenty twenty one over a a lay of Fenway Park and it's something that I think should get a lot of Red Sox fans very excited to see because it looks like a lot of doubles and home runs over the monster
2: (laughs) that looks pretty good doesn't it (laughs) that's
0: uh he's gonna
2: you get a guy like that in here and if that spray start chart stays the same you're you're gonna be uh, adding a lot of dents to that wall um yeah I mean I don't even know what to say I mean that's a that's a compelling case right there get that get that guy in here and watch watch the damage he can do to the monster right
0: so you're talking about the the potential lineup i think that puts duval in the cleanup spot with kike at the second spot so then you start off your games going left right left right and then from there you just uh maybe plug in Cassis at fifth and then uh go from there but i think that could be a pretty stout top of a lineup And then uh, with the quality pitching that we've already discussed about, this has sneaky potential for a team that could contend. I know a lot of people have been down on it, and Twitter has been very down on this Red Sox team, saying that they're going to be last place behind every other team in the major leagues, and this is going to be the worst Red Sox team in 100 years, and blah, blah, blah. Realistically, this is a team that could compete at least for a wild card. Do you agree? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in Red Sox fans nature is to be as pessimistic <laughs> as possible, because that's, that's just who, you know, as a region, that's just how we are. It's hard to, you know, even after all the years of championships, it's, it's kind of, you know, old habits die hard, but you know, it's, it's true. So the thing with this Red Sox team, it's like I said with the rotation and it's the case with the, the lineup the, you're dealing with, an incredibly high degree of variance in terms of the possible outcomes we could see here. You know, you could, you could get a best case scenario where everybody stays healthy, everybody produces, and this team runs over everybody on route to a world series championship, exactly like what happened in 2013, very similar circumstances, or you could get what happened last year where you're starting four rookies in the rotation for an entire month. Everybody gets hurt everybody underproduces who stays healthy and you just, just, it just, everything goes wrong. We've seen that story play out multiple times over the past decade too. So where, where does that leave the Sears team? I think the Sears team, their, it's funny. Their their floor is basically a bottomless pit, but realistically with the talent they have, I think they should at least be good enough to compete for a wild card. They should be good enough to Finish above 500. I'm not necessarily promising they're going to like win 90 games, but but the thing is, like, if you're talking about an 85 win team in the AL East, that may still end up being a fourth or fifth place team. So we almost have to like separate the quality of the team from the place in the standings because let's face it, the Red Sox were a last place team last year, and yet they were miles ahead of most of the other last place teams in baseball. You know, you look at the Pirates, you look at the Reds, you look at the Royals. You know, those teams, those teams were, were, those were really, really rough outfits. You know, the A's, another example, the Red Sox were not that they were, they were a below average to bad team. They didn't, they didn't like totally suck. I think this year's team should be better, which means, you know, and if things maybe go a little bit, if they're a little bit luckier, we could be looking at some, actually some really interesting and encouraging outcomes, maybe a little bit more like what we saw in 21 it's, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I don't, I can't see the future, so I can't necessarily tell you how it's going to play out. Uh, But what I can say is the Red Sox can help their case by filling the holes, adding some people at the positions we've been discussing, raise that floor a little bit and give yourself a chance because the Blue Jays aren't going anywhere. The Orioles are only going to get better. The Yankees aren't going anywhere. And the Rays, I don't really understand the Rays, but, it's best to assume that they're probably at least going to be decent this year too, because for some reason they always just seem to like produce all these like you know random guys, and suddenly they have the best bullpen ever. It, it's <laughs> I, they, they only see, they 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 they, I, they defy all logic sometimes honestly, but all that's to say, all that's to say they're um I, I think Red Sox fans should try to not be so pessimistic, even if cautiously, you know maybe cautious optimism is a little too strong, but like allow yourself the possibility to dream big because there is enough potential on this team that they could surprise people.
1: I like that. Yeah. So you might not have a crystal ball, but let's just for a second, pretend that you do and you can see the future. What's one move that between now and when pitchers and catchers report for spring training that you see the Red Sox making?
2: Hmm. Well, I don't know if this is the one they would do, but everybody's talked about uh, Hassan Kim from the Padres as being a possible infield target, right? Well, let me float another one. I have no, I've heard nothing like to suggest that this is a thing that, you know, nobody from the Red Sox, no agents told me this. Um, Ahmed Rosario from the Cleveland guardians. I feel like is an interesting target, uh, he is approaching free agency. Um, the guardians have a lot of middle infielders coming up through a, you know, so between, uh, Jimenez is obviously their guy, right? You know, that guy is like going to be their franchise player. Probably Rosario is a pretty solid shortstop, you know, a pretty solid infield guy who can really, you know, give you a lot of what the Red Sox need right now. And they've got a bunch of prospects, some who are already on the 40-man roster, a couple have already been called up. He makes perfect sense as a guy the Red Sox should potentially try to get. Um, He has, you know, less team control. So theoretically, he should be cheaper. And you only really need the guy for one year, right? I mean, if you think about it, you got, you know, Story's going to be back eventually. So if nothing else, definitely by 2024, Story will be back. So at that point, do you actually need this new guy to, to fill the gap? Because you, you keep him too long. At some point, you also get into territory where Marcella Meyer maybe may be an option too. So bring a guy like that in. Uh, maybe you can get him for a little bit less than what it might cost to get some of the other guys that we've you know hear, heard floated. I, I'd be very interested to see if that ends up being the guy. Uh, like I said, I don't have any. I'm not reporting anything. I, I this is literally just me looking at you know. The resumes, the you know, the contract statuses, all that sort of thing. It's like, well, that one makes a lot of sense. I will be. We'll we'll have to see if the Red Sox and the Guardians agree.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's one that definitely I could see playing out. There are a few shortstop names besides Kim. I feel like that's the one that we've seen the most. Um, you know, like I've seen Alberto Mondesi's name thrown out a bit. And, you know, injury history's not great, but he is only twenty-seven. Paul DeJong off of several off years for the Cardinals but you know this late in the offseason pickings are so slim um the two short yeah. stops though that you really see in free agency have been um Andres and Iglesias which one would you pick of those two? Oh, geez
2: I mean probably on Andres but Eh, <laughs> it's not really a good position. If you're, uh, frankly, I'd rather, I'd rather just roll with Kike and Arroyo and maybe, maybe sign Iglesias as like the utility. guy. that's at that point. Um, yeah, Harrison, I've heard is Josh Harrison's another guy I've heard floated out there. I, I guess I'd probably rather have him if I had to pick my, you know, any of those sort of bottom tier guys who are still on the market, but, you know, I, I think. Do I think getting the the, the really the, the really solid center fielder and just moving, you know, just kind of rolling with Kike, Arroyo, and whichever, you know, depth midfield middle infielder you can get your hands on. I feel like that's probably the the best play at this point. Uh, Duvall is so much better, or rather, he could be so much better than any of those other guys. I, at least I think, anyway.
0: No, I I agree, and you know, it's it's fun like trying to play matchmaker and fantasy booker or whatever but man throwing out that uh i mad rosario that really got my brain going because that move makes so much sense and and it's a lot cheaper than kim kim would cost an arm and a leg you would you would for sure be sending Hulk. you'd for sure be sending some other top tier prospects to the padres in exchange for him and like you mentioned he could end up blocking guys like Meyer from coming up in a couple of years. So man, that, that makes so much sense to go short term with a guy like Rosario. I like it. Heim make it happen. Let's go. <laughs> oh man. You got any other questions, Brandon? Um, you know, one of the things that I, I like to, to try to think about whenever going into a new season is, is this team going to be fun? and, I think we can look back at some of the the years past. The 2018 team, that was a fun team. Yeah, they won 108 games, and that does tend to make you have a little bit more excitement. But just the guys seemed like a fun group of guys. The 2021 team, that was a fun team. I I think all of us can sit back and remember uh, Kyle Schwarber celebrating a routine out at first base like he just won the Little League World Series. That was a lot of fun. This team, the 2023 Red Sox, they are going to be a very fun team. Guys like Kike Hernandez and Justin Turner, those guys are great. They're fantastic clubhouse guys, and they're guys that like to have a good time. And reports that I've read from Braves fans, are that adam duvall is that same kind of character and i think i think this team if they do bring in duvall even if they don't i think this team is going to have a lot of fun win or lose what do you think
2: i think that's safe to say um you know it's one thing that really kind of plays into this too how nice is it going to be to go into a season without worrying about whether the red sox are going to lock up rafael devers you know, we didn't even talk about here. that. Yeah, yeah, last team, uh, yeah. By the way, that yeah, Rafael Devers is a uh, you know locked up to the biggest contract in team history. Um, I think we it, it's just as a as a, like a covering the team. You know, as like an observer of the team for fans, I'm sure not having that cloud over this team is going to be so refreshing, right? Like, cause the whole Bogarts and to a certain Devers too, to a certain extent was so exhausting last year and all the players felt it too. I mean, you're, it was just always, it was just looming over everything. It was like a, it was less like you spend the whole season with your head in like a stockade with a guillotine over your head, just waiting for like the, you know, for the, you know, for the bad news to drop basically. And now at least we can go into the season knowing Devers is a part of the Red Sox for, the foreseeable future, Uh, you know, there is no existential dread of that level hanging over this group. So, you know, will they, will they succeed? I don't know, but that part's going to be a lot more fun. You know, fewer games against AL East opponents means theoretically with a more balanced schedule, theoretically, the Red Sox could maybe capitalize on slightly weaker competition because like Just getting smoked every weekend by the the Rays and the Blue Jays was got kind of old last year. That'll be more fun seeing more teams come to Fenway, teams that you didn't normally get to see. That'll be fun. The pitch clock, let me tell you, I am like the pitch clock needs to have come yesterday, man. That's going to change all of our lives. You know, games ending in the minor leagues, like games would end at like nine thirty, like for a seven o'clock you know start, right?
1: It's the best, right?
2: I don't think anybody really appreciates how much is going to change this year from a fan like viewing experience, as far as that goes. You know, you know, put all that together, and you know, Tristan Cassius is here. Brian Bayo is here. You know, player Whitlock. Calc, all these players we've kind of been waiting for are here. So you know, and you know, Yoshida is an interesting wild card too. Well, we we could have a very fun season ahead I don't know how successful like I said but at the very least there is going to be a lot more joy in the watching the the baseball watching experience I believe at least uh I I think Red Sox fans as the season approaches and certainly once the games begin
1: will have good reason to believe so as well end it on a high note man (laughs) unless you've got anything else Brandon
0: no I'm good Oh, let, let
2: me tell you, when your formative experience is watching every game of the 2004 season, it's a little bit easier to see the bright side of things. You know, it's, uh, not as I, I'm. I'm, a ho- I'm hopelessly optimistic. Maybe I'm naive, but I I, I feel like a better season is a, is gonna be uh, on the horizon.
0: Well, you definitely got in at the right time. I can't imagine being a Red Sox fan that only started watching in 2018 or 2020 for that matter or something like that. Like we we've seen the best that the Red Sox have to offer. So I think that gives us a little bit of a reasoning to to say, "Hey, it can happen."
2: Oh, absolutely. We've seen the script before. We know it, it literally 2012 to 2013, 2020 to 2021, you, you can emerge from
1: darkness real quick, man. mm mm-hmm. Mhm yeah absolutely can now uh mac where can people follow you uh just like social medias so you can follow
2: me on twitter at max um
1: m-a-c-c-e-r-u-l-l-o
2: uh most of my professionally that's i put it pretty much everything there um you know I, i have an instagram but it's all mostly hiking pictures and pictures of my son so a little bit less interesting for baseball fans um, yeah, and then obviously just, uh, check, you know, check out my work and, uh, you know, all of the North shore papers, basically, uh, you know, Eagle Tribune, Salem news, daily news, of Newburyport, Gloucester times. Um, you know, I put, I have stuff run, you know, practically every day, it seems. So, um, winter weekend coming up. So lots of stuff coming with that. So there should be a, should be
1: a, a fun couple of weeks. And obviously spring training is right around the corner. It's getting close. Well, thanks again so much for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll see you all next time.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys. That was awesome.